That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, welcome back to another episode of Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman, in Waco, Texas, joined by Jacob Smith, who has fled Manhattan for the Canary Islands because he's run into a bit of legal problems. <laughs> Jake, how's it going over there? <laughs> Funny, I hope that's not prophetic in any way. I think, so, I, but, um... the, yeah, the, well, the Bitcoin <laughs> stuff, I mean, it looked good at first, but we all have to learn that's some right. hard lessons. That's right. Um well, anyway, I think uh, that uh, brings us, it's appropriate for this uh, sixth <laughs> Sunday after Epiphany, because, you know, the collect is mercifully accept our prayers, and because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace. Uh, you know, the truth is, is that there, the truth is, is that we can do nothing good without God. Um, and uh, this really is articulated and conveyed throughout our uh, readings this Sunday. Well, speak for yourself, Jake. I have done so many good things without God this week. Uh, <laughs> so I'll be praying for you. Yeah, yeah, no. you and everybody organizing farm worker rallies and all of these things. For, <laughs> you know, it is uh, am- in the name of justice. Um, That's right. Uh, it's just, Which is a good it, thing. You know, the, Mm, it is a good thing, but it is um, it. Uh, but if you think uh, if you think God is impressed with it one bit, woe unto you! And so, um, well, and, and Jake, uh, let me just jump in here for a second because I do think this idea. This will, if you're an Episcopalian and you use this collect, or our ACNA brothers and sisters, and you're using this collect this Sunday. Nobody from ACNA is listening to it. I think <laughs> we've been officially banned. So. <laughs> we lost them at Law Gospel. Um, yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, we love you guys. We know you're out there. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. So, uh, big the, hug to Sean Norris. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Ethan, we love you. Uh, we can do nothing good without you. This is an unpopular idea in a lot of circles, and uh, it's a really radical claim. It is paraphrasing sort of what St. Paul or St. Saint David says in Psalm 51, there is, you know, that kind of there's there's no health in me, which used to be in the collect, uh, the confession, uh, rather, in our prayer book, which was taken out because it's too heavy to say we can do nothing good without you. But yeah, it there's really, no health within us. Yeah. Right. But it is it is sort of a true thing. My wife has a bumper sticker that says low anthropology, which we gave out at Mockingbird conferences a while ago, um, which could sort of be the theme for this uh, sixth Sunday um, after Epiphany. As we've said before, Epiphany is revealing, revealing something about Jesus for the world. And what these passages seem to reveal is that um, we are, as my uh, friend and colleague in ministry, Ben Madison, used to say, people, this was his major teaching that he left in Waco when he was here during his curacy, quote, people are the worst, end quote. Uh, this is this was what he taught us, and it's true. And it's this low anthropology that people are are not uh, great um, is sort of the yeah. theme here. Another priest friend of mine, uh, David Peters, recently said, 
that he kind of learned this idea, this theological lens of low anthropology, and now he sees it everywhere. You can't unsee it, that mm. people are the worst. That's right. Uh, you know, the truth is, is that— I see it in you too, Jake. I, thank you. I'm going to take that as a word of encouragement. <laughs> so, but— um, Truth and love. I think that— uh, I think what we uh, begin to see here is that absolutely right. No matter, no matter how great you think you're doing, uh, the truth is is that when it comes to God, you have nothing to offer. Um, you are nothing, and that uh, Jesus is actually everything, and He gives you all that you need. And uh, we see this really playing out um, in Jeremiah. Our reading from Jeremiah today, 17 verses 5 through 10. The epiphany this week really is the revelation of who you are and your need for God. Um, and uh, this passage, the first four verses really set the context for our reading in Jeremiah today. It's all about a covenantal relationship and how um, Israel has failed it, um, in keeping the covenant. If you see your religion as a two-way street, uh, guess who is always going to come up short? Never God always you. But the problem, because you're a sinner, is that you think God is coming up short. Uh, you think, you know, somehow he owed you something, or somehow, you know, um, he should have been there. And the fact is, is that, like, he was there. And uh, But when you see your relationship with God as a two-way street, um, despite the fact that you're a failure, you will always read God as the failure. And this is what Jeremiah is building here in chapter 17, his case. Yeah, yeah that, that's right, because the first four verses, and you you meant the first four verses, verses one through four, that aren't included in this reading, but it sets the Of course, the con because it yeah. hurts people's feelings, and the right. lectionary cut it out. Right. It says, by your own act, you shall lose the heritage that I gave you. Um, and it's it's just, it's, it's this amazing, it says, the sin of Judah is written with an iron pen, with a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. Um, this means... Uh, I mean, it's indelible. You can't erase it. It's it's not going away. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, you've fallen up short, and there's nothing. There's no extra credit. There's nothing else you can do. Uh, there's no statute of limitations where this will run out. There's no presidential pardon. Uh, it's just it's written with an iron pen. The, the writer is saying in as strong language as he can, uh, "You're the worst. You did it, and it's not going to go away." And so as a result, and we pick it up in verses five and seven. This sort of um, two kinds of people in the world. There's the ones who trust in mere mortals and make flesh their strength. The ones who worship idols and human systems. Uh, they will be in a really bad way, an uninhabited salt land. I mean, that means soil that won't grow anything. In contrast, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. And so we're sort of set up to think that there are the two kinds of people, the Ned Flanders and the Homer Simpsons, the good and the bad, and, and the good ones will be rewarded. But then what happens in verse 9, Jake? Um, well, I don't know, because the verses aren't laid out there, but what does it say? <laughs> <laughs> the heart is devious. I got you. Yeah. See, Jake is. is a sinner, people. At the, remember how I said in the beginning? It's true. No, the heart I is, don't know my Bible that well. <laughs> so, verse <but> 9, <laughs> the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? Uh, and it says in verse 10, then I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart. I'm the only one that knows what it, what it's like. And let me tell you, it doesn't look good. God, the divine cardiologist, looks at our hearts, and man, it is fatty and enlarged and uh, on the verge of a heart attack. 
that's right. It's filled with cholesterol and sin. And uh, <laughs> but this is this is a, a great place where a lot where uh, uh, the Pelagian will want to come in and you're preaching, or the semi-Pelagian, and talk about you know. So like, how are you keeping your mind pure? You know, what is God searching in your heart? Is it good things? Is it bad things? And uh, the truth is, is this where the collective purity is so important? Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of our Holy Spirit. And the good news of the gospel is that uh, God finds nothing worthy in your heart, and He loves you anyway. Uh, God finds nothing lovable in your heart, and He gives you a heart transplant. And so this is where the one-way covenant religion comes in. God does it all for you. He's even the one who cleanses your mind. He's the one who cleanses your thoughts. And uh, um, uh, and it gives you the fruit, the fruit of Christ in his doing. Yeah, and it's always been this way. And this is not a fun or popular message for a lot of people. I've had folks in my congregation come up and basically say, you know, your anthropology is too low. Aren't people good in some way? Don't we love our children sometimes? Don't we make beautiful things sometimes? And I would say, yes, we do. We, Of course we do. Uh, Saint-Chapelle in Paris is amazing. Uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors is one of the best albums ever recorded. Uh, but, you know, we all know what they were doing in that studio in Sausalito at the time. But, yes, there is goodness in people. There's God-implanted goodness in people. Yet, there is no good act that does not also cause human beings to say, look at what a good thing I did. Um, yeah. There's, all, well, there's, there's always going to be the, the taint of sin in even the best act, which is not to say we shouldn't do them or they're worthless, but just, again, let's keep in mind how horrible people are. The thing that's going on right now that's got me cracking up, we were talking about this earlier, Jake, is that there are two huge meditation apps. One was the app of the year last year. It's called Calm on iTunes. The other is called Headspace. Um, they're both apps that help you learn mindfulness and meditative practices. I use both. They've been very helpful to me. They have not increased my sanctification, but they do lower my blood pressure. And I would say they're a good thing. But what's fascinating, these two apps that are supposed to be, you know, about enlightenment and clarity and calm and uh, kind of a compassionate attitude towards everyone. They're sort of locked in a death match right now because both have reached a million subscribers. They're both competing for this uh, market that is uh, rapidly expanding. Yoga is old. Mindfulness is the new thing. There's four times more people doing meditation now than there were a year ago. So, but these two companies, you know, they're still companies. They still got to get investors. They still got to turn a profit. And these, these enlightened mindfulness companies are competing for uh, market share and for subscribers. And so it's this, it's this ironic conflict that they themselves are aware of. But to me, it just shows that there were another example of even in the good uh, things that we do, there's always some sort of human incurved, incurvatus in, in say, that Augustinian idea, mm -hmm. we're sort of curved in on ourselves. We can't do a good deed without congratulating ourselves and wanting people to notice it. I think that's uh, also an important thing, too, is that, you know, there is a distinction, and the Reformers made this distinction in theology, between uh, the righteousness before God and a righteousness before man. And, you know, and um, and your righteousness before man, before humankind, excuse me, is always, um, or personkind, is always a two-way street. That is, that is true. Um, however, the righteousness before God is a one-way street. And uh, because right from the jot and the tittle, we have failed at keeping the covenant. Um, and so he fulfills the covenants on our behalf. 
And uh, the sign of that covenant uh, fulfillment is in the historical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, and that is the theme of our reading in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Um, anybody who says that this is just a metaphor for spring or anybody who says, you know, that this is just, a, um, you know, a fable of some sort, I want to, like, especially our colleagues, and this is a word that goes out to every one of our colleagues who thinks that this is a metaphor or fable, get another job. Like, this is real business. You can make a lot more money doing something else. And, um, and uh, because this is real business, the moment they find Jesus's body from the dead, uh, body in like the moment they, I'm out of this game. And I like as serious as a heart attack. This is true because Jesus's resurrection is the sign that all of this one way covenant has been fulfilled. And that despite what I see and my failures to be righteous before men, God, because of Jesus in his death and resurrection, has declared me righteous before himself. And uh, that is the most important thing. And that affects my relationship with other people. That ref like that idea of who I am not, who I am isn't who I am not. Like that begins to transform me and uh, begins to feed into the existential aspects of the gospel. Yeah, that's right. And and that's so uh, there are two reasons that we talked about why this uh, I not idea, the fact of the resurrection is so important and why Paul spends so much time on it and why the wise people that put together the lectionary said, we're going to do a bunch of stuff in first Corinthians in the season of epiphany, because people need to remember it's not Easter, but the resurrection is the key thing. We've just finished kind of Christmas, uh, Advent Christmas, and we're into epiphany. So who's Jesus? He's the one that rises from the dead. And the reason that's so important, not just historically and for the apologetic purpose that Christianity is a real and a true thing, um, but also personally, because Jake, you're going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. We're all going to die. And we all have, we're all living in, in and with death all the time. You're getting older. You look worse this week than you did last week, Jake. I didn't know how to mention it to you, but uh, neither of us are getting any younger. Um, we're all going to die. And so this resurrection means that um, your biggest problem has been solved that we have a God who raises the dead, who is himself raised from the dead. And if not, to quote, um, what is it, the Borg, uh, resistance is futile. Like Paul yeah. says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Jesus did bupkis if he didn't rise from the dead. I was, I was in a hospital a room uh, two weeks ago with a man... Um, uh, father of a parishioner, and he's a, uh, an atheist. And it was really a terrifying and sad place to be. Um, and, and, you know, and it was just one of those situations where the heart was so hard that nothing I said, I mean, I went in and like dropped every line that I had. And, um, but it was really, I mean, it was, it was really, really sad. And, uh, and that's the, that is one of the differences between like a room where there is no hope and uh, where someone's dying and a room where someone believes that Jesus is risen from the dead. Because while there's sadness and there's grief, there is hope because he is the first fruit of that promise. And, uh, and when we are dying, um, um, though, uh, you know, we may be weak. We can cling to that promise existentially. That brings hope in the midst of real, real grief. Yeah, and I, I, I want to say just a couple other things about this, uh, the resurrection. You know, there are so many people that think Jesus is a way for us to get to heaven when we die. 
that there's some sort of mm. um, we we float up like Casper the ghost and we get to heaven and that's the whole point of Christianity. But can I just say out there, brothers and sisters, that is not the teaching. The teaching is that we rise from the dead. It's not that we float up to heaven, uh, spiritually speaking, um, uh, because a lot of uh, religions have that sort of view, that our spirits go up to be with the divine spirit. and in Going some, on up to the spirit in the sky. sky. Um, best uh, Christian rock song by a Jewish guy ever. Uh, ever. Norman Greenbaum, so good. <laughs> best, best, one of the best guitar riffs of all time. Uh, and uh, which, by the way, his anthropology is not low enough in that song. That's the one problem with uh, "Spirit in the Sky." He says, "Never been a sinner, never sinned. I got a friend in Jesus," which is like, ah, yeah, but you need You're a savior. Yeah. So, anyways, he rises from the dead, uh, and so we rise from the dead. We are bodily resurrected. So whatever happens in that intermediary time, whether we go to be with Jesus in paradise, as he says to the thief on the cross next to him, there's some intermediate stage. Paul calls it being asleep. Um, uh, and uh, But we will rise from the dead. Bodily resurrection is what Christians believe, an afterlife that is new heaven and new earth, solid, concrete, real, and we have our bodies, um, uh, And but we look great. That's the only That's- difference. Absolutely. BMIs are perfect. Yeah. So anyways, I, so that's the one thing I want to say about that. Um, the resurrection thank is real. For, thank you for that amazing reminder, because I just recently watched uh, Ghost with Patrick Swayze Ooh. and was uh, feeling the orb uh, kind of uh, <laughs> thing again. And so it's good to be reminded of Christian truth yes. and that we're not Gnostics. And yeah. so we will physically rise from the dead. Yeah. So don't don't watch uh, Ghost. If you're <laughs> looking for a good Patrick Swayze movie, look, watch uh, Dirty Dancing. It's a horrible lie, beautifully told. So. <laughs> uh, I had something else I was going to say about the resurrection, but I feel like I've I've lost it. Other than it is true, it is real, it matters now pastorally, and it matters uh, for us as we think about eternity and what that means. Um, uh, so, yeah, anything else you want to say about 1 Corinthians 15, Jake? Well, nope, I'm done, but uh, I do want to, I think it's a perfect, it's a perfect move into um, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, which is the Sermon on the Plain, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And this is where um, Jesus as the Messiah is giving the epiphany description of who we all are and uh, the blessings and the curses that come with it. Yeah, so Jesus, as the passage opens, now has the 12 apostles. He's got the band together, and he's he's continuing his teaching. Um, and it says a great multitude of people. And it's important to note who's in that multitude. It says Judea, no surprise. The Jewish folks want to hear this potential Messiah and wonder worker. Jerusalem, okay, the religious leaders need to come down and check this guy out, check his credentials. But then the coast of Tyre and Sidon. So again, yep. we've already got people who are outside the club Tyre and Sidon is that's Philistine country, that's Gentile country, that's people on the coast, um, people who sitting in darkness. That's right, yeah. And so the epiphany again this season is about revealing, and Jesus even early in Luke's gospel is uh, there's a hint of revelation to the Gentiles, to the bacon eaters like Jake and me. And so mm. uh, they've come to hear him, and also to be healed of their diseases and uh, those who trouble with unclean spirits. So the, again, we talked about low anthropology as being this idea in Jeremiah that we all have deceitful hearts. And the way that um, Luke talks about it is just to note that we all have major problems. As Cheryl Crow sang in uh, her debut album, I got a brother, 
He's got problems. Well, this is true for everybody. Unclean spirits, diseases, um, and just the fact that they're coming to hear him means that people have a need. Like everybody just That's wants right. a little relief. Can Is there somebody who can tell me something good? And of course it says they're all trying to touch him like the Beatles, like Elvis Presley, because power, but in a much more real and less adolescent uh, way, uh, comes out of him and heals them. That's my dog whining there in the background because he also needs to be healed. That's right. And uh, and then it says he looked up at his disciples and he said, and he delivers a series. And what makes this uh, unique from the Sermon on the Mount is that he also delivers, Luke captures the woes, but he delivers the blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, etc., etc. And blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of me or the Son of Man rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven." For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. So, um, you know, this is just um, a very important passage in the sense that it is not something you do, um, but rather this is a description. And I think if we read this honestly in this life, we would find just like righteous before men and righteousness before God, Simil used to set Bekator, you'd find a little of both of these in the Christian. You'd also find a woe. You'd find, you know, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's both and at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, there's nobody for whom these passages don't apply at the same time. Um, I think uh, there is a really, um, I mean, a powerful thing here um, because for for both the poor and the rich, many people will look at people who are poor, however you want to define that, um, and see that as a problem that needs to be fixed. And for sure it does. I mean, there are 40% of Waco lives in poverty, and uh, it's um, heartbreaking. And a lot of us are involved in trying to address those situations. But there's also a great ennobling and dignifying word here. Yours is the kingdom of God. Uh, there's some kind of, as, as Jürgen Moltmann said, that God has a preferential option for the poor. And so you see that here. There's also this statement, very counterintuitive, that the rich are, um, <laughs> man, it's rough. Uh, they've, they, they have put their security in things that are temporary and meaningless and uh, and will not really give them uh, what they want. Um, Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. If you're if you're at the all-you-can-eat buffet at Golden Corral, man, woe to you uh, for a lot of reasons. One, you're going to get diabetes, but two, um, your contentment is is not really. Um, Boy, we're going to get a cease and desist letter from Golden Corral. I can already feel it. Well, I'm just going to say, damn, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know, I, I love Golden Corral and I love mm. the all you can eat. They they get the steak right every time. <laughs> and but this is this is this is the point of Jesus's preaching. Yeah, um, it is. It is to drive you. I mean, even me, a clergyman, I love Golden Corral. I'm full. I had an amazing bacon, egg and cheese for breakfast. Mm. Um, but the woe is. Um, and, and gee, many crickets, everybody here who is listening to this podcast is rich as, you know, you know what, when it comes to the world standards. and Historically um, speaking and, the, and globally speaking, yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think, well, yeah, and uh, but I think that the preaching both here is not to be like, hey— Good for you guys. It is it is both and. Jesus is speaking to the to the justified in us, and he is speaking to the sinner in us at the same time. And this is the powerful thing in how he delivers it. But there is coming a time, brothers and sisters, when you will die. Mm. 
You will die, and because of the resurrection from the dead, the only word you'll hear from your Messiah is blessed. Yeah, and and this is, I do remember now the one thing I wanted to say about 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection, and how it ties to this low anthropology view that we get in Jeremiah um, and in Luke, um, you know, as Jeremiah says, the heart is, uh, is deceitful in some translations or, um, the heart is, uh, devious, um, and who can understand it? Uh, uh, the reason the resurrection matters existentially for us is because we need to be made new. We need a complete, um, death and resurrection. We don't just need a paint job and some, uh, you know, maybe some fuzzy dice hung from the rearview mirror. Um, if, you know, I guess I'm comparing people to cars, uh, but we need, we need the whole engine ripped out and I mean, everything replaced. Uh, um, we need, we need to die and, and rise again, uh, which is, um, uh, which is the only solution. So any preacher that's going to take these passages and tell people to get out there and make themselves better is missing the point of this whole yeah. thing. And and this word that that Jesus preaches in Luke's gospel is also to kind of bring us to the end of ourselves because every, you know, you could say he's preaching a word of judgment to the rich. Uh, and there's some preachers that are going to focus on that and sort of say things about income inequality and which again, those are real problems that I care about a great deal. But just shaming the rich with this passage, you're forgetting that every poor person also wants to be rich. Um, mm-hmm. uh, greed, and it'll affect your pledge campaign. Right, yeah, greed no. affects, yeah. <laughs> and so don't mention it. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> but greed affects everybody, and sin affects everybody, and the human heart is deceitful above all things. Uh, and so what we need is not a self-improvement campaign. Uh, what we need is somebody to die and rise again for us so that in that resurre- in that in that uh, work of God we also die and rise again to new life. Mm, and it is in that work of God, that death and resurrection of Jesus that becomes the enabling agent where we kind of live out this collect that in keeping your commandments because he's done it and given it to us, we now may please you both in will indeed. Uh, because the demand has been removed, uh, we're free to actually um, weep uh, with those who are weeping and um, rejoice with those who have been called blessed. Yeah. And, um, and uh, that is the good word. It's a one-way street, all given to you, to free you up that you might serve your neighbor and be righteous before men yeah. and God. Yeah, and I, so yeah. that's the good word. I, I, and just, you know, uh, a last word, if I may. Uh, I knew a person who had grown up in a rather progressive church and didn't believe really in the resurrection, found it a really uh, tough intellectual hurdle to get over. The person ultimately came to believe in it, but it wasn't because somebody had pummeled them with uh, clever apologetics or uh, irrefutable logical arguments or appeals to history. It was because this person was in a place where they were consistently hearing the love and grace of God preached for sinners, for real human beings, people with deceitful hearts, people who always, you know, if you ever, if people who want to say, hey, we're basically good, um, ask them when they see a group photo of in which they are included, who is the first face they look for? Everybody always wants to know, how do I look in this photo? Uh, and so if, if that's who we are, uh, having love and grace preached is the thing that might 
turn our hearts. And, um, and this person confided in me that that's what did it, that hearing that God loved them so totally over and over again, made him say, you know what, if God wanted to raise Jesus from the dead, he could. And, but, and that's, so that's, I just say that as a word to preachers, that the historicity matters, the apologetics matter. Um, you're probably not going to argue anybody into it from the pulpit, but if you could talk about the God who loves even those whose hearts are deceitful above all things, um, you may, you may do the work or the spirit may do the work through you. Hmm. That's all I got, It's a Jake. good word to end on. Yeah. That's a good word to end on. God bless everybody. Happy preaching. All right. Have fun. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.